0: It is so good to be here with you on this Lord's Day, and our friends of the Boy Scouts, it is such a joy to have you here with us, and Henry and Luke and Wilkes, we're so grateful for your leadership and leading us in worship this morning. And church family, I invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, we'll read 28 through 30. Uh, This is one of my all-time favorite passages of the New Testament, Um, and uh, as we begin this new year, even though we're, you know, a month into it, I want us to look at it. Because I think this passage just really draws us to the heart of Christianity because it takes us to the very heart of Christ. It reminds us who it is that we serve, who it is that we follow, and what it is that he gives us. Rest for the soul. Something that all of us, no matter if you know Jesus or not, desperately need. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 28. God's word says, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can come together yet again On this your day to worship you and to feast upon your word. We pray that you would send your spirit down upon us, that you would teach us. Not just that we'd be better informed, but spiritually transformed by the power of your spirit. We pray all these things in the blessed name of the risen King Jesus. Amen. When we feel discontent, discouraged, defeated, and otherwise just weary. And polls say that 80% of Americans feel that way, by the way. Which means the other 20% are just lying, right? Because we know that on some level, we all feel that way. But when we do feel that way, every single person as human beings go to people, places, or things to find the relief and the rest that they need. And more often than not, those are not helpful places. And I'm just going to confess to you in the past, I have often run to Netflix when I needed relief and rest. Has anybody else in here binge watched a television show before? I'm not the only one. Right, and isn't it true? There's nothing quite as shameful when that little thing comes up on the Netflix that says, "Are you sure that you want to watch another episode?" <laughs> as if you know they're the ones with the moral conscience in this whole relationship. Um, I remember one instance several years ago. I was going through a particularly hard season, and I just you know I was desperate for relief, and, and I went to a show. And at that time, um, Lost was a thing. Do y'all remember that Lost? I was addicted. To, I loved. I was an evangelist for Lost. I would have. Try to convince you how amazing that show was. In fact, there was one time on staff, this was several years ago, me and a couple other staff coworkers were trying to convince Sandy that this was a show that he needed to invest his time into. And we went all out, you know, there's, there's, first off, there's a mysterious Island in this show, Sandy. And it's every, I mean, it's everything you could have asked for. I mean, there's a group of bad guys on that Island called the others. We're really not sure who they are yet, but there's other things at play. There's politics, there's you know sociological experiments, there's even theology, and and don't forget about the smoke monster. And he's like, smoke monster. He's like, Yes, yeah, smoke monster, it's fantastic. And all of us were just really crazy about this. And and very sweetly he looked at us, you know what, guys? That seems like a royal waste of time. <laughs> and you know, it turns out he's right. Not just because it had a terrible ending, which it did. Spoiler. Um, But because it didn't work. You know, I shut my brain off for a couple of hours at a time. But it didn't give me the rest I was after. A lot of the things that we go to in this life for relief and rest, whether if it's a show or a game or vacation, maybe it's success at work. You just throw yourself into work or relationships that we have, none of which are bad things, by the way. But when we go after those things to seek true rest and relief. And we know this from experience. What, what happens? It just, leaves, it just leaves us unmoved, right? And sometimes more frustrated because we were looking for satisfaction, we were looking for fulfillment, but it just didn't pay off. And more often than not, we're, we're more weary than, than when we first began that endeavor. And the reason that's the case is because our need for relief. Our rest, it goes much deeper than we often realize. I really appreciate what uh, American poet Wallace Stevens says. He says, even in our contentment, when things are going well, even in our contentment, there's an ache of the soul that longs for imperishable bliss. I find that beautiful and so true. And I think if we gave ourselves the time and the space and the quiet, which granted, it's hard to find time and space and quiet, but if we gave ourselves that time and actually thought on it. I think we would know that to be true because all of the places that we run to, they're a waste of time because they are perishable and they were never meant to satisfy that ache in our souls. What we need, we need something that's imperishable something that's cosmic, something that's lasting, something that's eternal, something that we were meant for in the words of Augustine. If I can find his words, here they are. as a broken people in a broken world, there's a soul weariness that cannot be satisfied by anything other than the God who made us for himself. And that's why I really love this passage, why I'm excited for us to look at it together, right? Because in these verses, Jesus condescends and he he looks at us straight in the eyes and he says, I am that God. I am the one that you're looking for. I'm the one who made you for myself and the rest that you desperately need. I am the only one that can give that to you. And so brothers and sisters, I don't know, if, if you're weary in the soul this morning, If you're just worn out by all the complexities of life, if you're being crushed and weighed down by guilt and shame, Jesus has some amazing, amazing words for you this morning. There's three things I want us to pay attention to. First off, Jesus extends a great invitation. Secondly, he offers a new and better burden. And thirdly, he gives us amazing assurance. So let's look at first in verse 28, Jesus extends to us a great invitation. This is what he says. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Commentators label this verse as the great invitation in most commentaries you read, because truly it is the greatest invitation that you and I could ever possibly receive. I want to look at it in parts. We'll go phrase by phrase. First off, Jesus says, come, come to me. And I can't think of three sweeter words ever spoken in the history of the world. Jesus says, come to me. When we hear that, normally we'd say, oh, that's a command. That's an imperative. Jesus is saying, get over here. No, not in the Greek. That's not the case. In the Greek, it's not a command. In the Greek, it's an interjection. You know, kids, they interject themselves into the conversations their parents are having all the time. You know, parents are just talking. The kids jump in, just blurt out a noise because they want want the attention on themselves, right? I don't think I've had a conversation finished in the past five years. My kids do this all the time. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's interrupting you. He's interrupting me. He wants the attention on him. He is interjecting himself into our lives. The son of God. Secondly, when he says that word come, it's not, the implication is not that we move from a prone position to an active one. As if we're, you know, sitting on the couch and saying, get up and come over here. That's, that's not the implication. The implication is, is that we change from walking in the wrong direction to the right direction. Which I think is important for us to note because every single person in the world and every single person in here is walking someplace spiritually. And most people are walking (laughs) in the wrong way. Right? So Jesus is, is interjecting himself. He's saying, don't go over there. Don't go to that place, which is, which is really a waste of time. Imagine that you're in a, you're in a desert and you're just dying of thirst and, and you just, you're desperate for an oasis of fresh water and you're, and you're walking to the left. And so Jesus interjects himself. He says, Hey, over here, you're going in the wrong direction. And he's yelling. He, he wants our attention, not because he's being rude or because he's indifferent to what's going on in our life. He's doing it out of love. He's saying, there is nothing for you over there. Come over here. And to where does he call us? He calls us to himself. Jesus does. Now, what's important for us is, you know, sometimes we need help to hear the interjection of Jesus. You know, I needed help when I was a junior in high school and I praise God for the three men in my life who helped me hear the voice of Jesus. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be ready to help people hear the interjection of Jesus. But we must remember we're not calling people to ourselves. Jesus is not saying, Hey, John, the Baptist is calling you. That's not what he's saying. The disciples aren't calling us. Our friends aren't calling us. Your pastors aren't calling you. Who's calling you. It's the King of heaven. The king of glory, the king of kings, the Lord of lords looks at you in the eye and he says, come. Friends, this is an invitation you don't want to ignore. You have an audience with the son of God. It's amazing. What's equally as amazing is the next phrase, the category of the people that Jesus extends this invitation to. In fact, this is why this passage is so amazing, why people love it because of who actually makes the guest list. I mean, listen to these two descriptions. He says, All who labor. What does that mean? It does not mean those who are in the workforce. That's not what that means. It means for those who, by their own doing and their own striving and vanity, have a soul weariness. So that's the first description. The second one, all who are heavy laden, a word describing those who are weighed down and crushed by someone or something around you. Those are the descriptions. Now, in context, if you look at this, this chapter and else, and the remaining chapters, the context suggests that Jesus is referring to the burden that the Pharisees put around the necks of God's people. That you've got to uphold these commands, that you've got to perform these rituals and observe these practices for God to, for, to, for God to love you, for God to bless you, for God to be with you. That's the, that's the context. Now, I know some of us are thinking, well, okay, that didn't apply to me. I'm not a Jewish person in Second Temple Judaism. I mean, I'm, I'm fine. I don't experience that. Of course we experience that. If it's not legalism, right? Where we're we're foolishly trying to achieve our salvation by things we do or don't do. Every single person in this room has an inner self-reproach. This voice in our hearts that says that we have to live up either to ours or someone else's standards and expectations, where the quality of our work and the quality of our moral lives and the quality of our social status becomes the measure of our worth and our significance. And even though the rest of the world lives that way, and we just play along with painted on smiles in our faces, we know down deep in our hearts that the guilt of never possibly living up to those expectations are crushing us. And what makes matters worse are the things that we run to. The idols that we run to for relief and for rest are, in fact, a waste of time. Because they were not meant to bear, the, to bear our affections, to bear our worship. And they were never meant to satisfy the ache in our souls. And when you add all that stuff up, it is just more than you can bear. And it feels like it's killing you and it feels like it's crushing you unless... You hear the sweet call of the Lord Jesus Christ who says over here, and you lay all of that mess at his feet. There is a negative implication here. If you think that you're doing just fine, that if you have life together, that you're at the the top of the ladder, you don't need any help, you don't really have a need. This invitation is not going to make a lick of sense to you because just like the rich young ruler, you're too infatuated with whatever your idol is to hear the call of Christ. But friends, if you're poor in spirit, if you know that you're helpless, if you feel beaten up and beaten down used up, you are the ones that he's calling. You're the one that's on the Evite list. And I know some of us are saying to ourselves, he couldn't possibly be me, 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 there's got to be a filter on this thing. If you knew who I was and the things that I've done and have said, he never would. You have no right to say that. You don't have a right to put any further filters on this invitation that the Lord Jesus gives you. He says, all who labor and are heavy laden. You know what that word in the Greek means? That word all. It's complicated. It means all. All who labor and all who are weary and all who are heavy laden. Who's included in that? Anybody with the past. Anybody with baggage. Anybody weighed down with guilt and shame. You are invited. Anybody who's exhausted from trying to white knuckle your life into a life of holiness by following all these moral checklists. You are invited. Anybody who's an addict, anybody who's broken, anybody who's afraid they've spoiled their only chance at a good and decent life, you are invited. Anybody who, is, who feels hopeless in their marriage, anybody who feels forgotten in their singleness, you are, forgot, or you, you are invited. Anybody who stumbles, anybody who fails, Anybody who has mud on their face and needs a savior, you are invited. You're not an afterthought. You weren't plan B. You're the ones that he's come for. You're the one that he's calling to himself. Your need does not disqualify you. It's the only thing that qualifies you. The only thing that you got to do is to admit that you have it. In verse 25 and elsewhere, you know why Jesus says that we must be like children to enter the kingdom of God? It's not because kids are capable. Even though we had some very capable worship leaders for us this morning. But it's not because kids are capable or teenagers are capable. It's because they're messy. And it's because they, they, they know they're dependent upon their parents and they know it. That's what it means to come to Jesus. You're dependent upon him for everything. And you believe in him. You believe in what he says about himself, what he says about our needs and what he provides. And brothers and sisters, what does Jesus provide? It's amazing. We bring to him our very worst and he gives us his best. What does he say? He says, come to me all who labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Rest. It's not a vacation rest. It's not the rest that comes from three consecutive snow days, which was amazing. We kind of pulled, we kind of hoodwinked them on that third day. You know, there was nothing on the ground that third day, but it's not that type of rest. It's not deep REM sleep rest. It's the rest of the divine. It's the rest that the prophets talked about in the old Testament. It's the rest. Our souls desperately need. It's the rest. It's, it's, it's the soldier's rest after he comes home from war it's the rest of finally having your burdens relieved it's the rest that it's the rest that is free from from a guilty conscience. It's the rest that is free from having to prove yourself. It's the rest that's free of striving in vain. It's the rest that comes from having your sins pardoned. It's the rest that comes from having your shame removed of being forever accepted and loved. And when you go to Jesus with nothing but the empty hands of faith, that's exactly what he gives you freely and immediately now and forever. And so church, are you weary today? Don't go to those places that are a waste of time. But answer the call. Answer the invitation that says over here, and he will lead you beside still waters and green pastures unlike you've ever known. It's an amazing invitation. Secondly, and quickly, in verses 29 through 30, and also ironically, Jesus offers us a new and better burden. This is what he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Okay, so what is this yoke? It's not common to us in East Memphis, I don't think. A yoke is this, um, a, a, a wooden frame that goes around the necks of two animals, two beasts of burden that carry the burden of a farmer. So to be yoked to something means that you're in subjection to whatever that thing is. Something's a master of you. Okay, so this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to come to me. I'm gonna give you rest, but I'm gonna be in complete control of your life. I'm gonna dominate you. I'm going to be your master. You want rest? Take my yoke. That's what Jesus is saying. And on the surface, that kind of sounds like a bait and switch, doesn't it? Like, Hey, are you tired? Carry this. That's what it sounds like. The, the, The world thinks this is lunacy. And sometimes we do too, right? Because doesn't rest come from the absence of burden? What is Jesus talking about? This is not a bait and switch. What Jesus is saying why this is not a bait and switch. You and I are already yoked to something. We already have a burden. There's two ways of reading this verse. You can read it you know, kind of woodenly, monotone, take my yoke upon you. And it does, if you read it that way, it kind of sounds like a bait and switch. It sounds, that's not very inviting. But if you emphasize the word that's supposed to be emphasized, my, this is what it sounds like. Take my yoke upon you. That is to say, exchange whatever yoke you have for mine. Jesus is looking at us. He's not saying, Kimbrough, you are free. You're independent. Let me be the master of your life. That's not what he is saying. He is saying, Barton, you're being mastered by something already. Something that isn't supposed to be your master and it's crushing you. So take my yoke. True rest does not come from a freedom of yoke any more than a fish is free out of water. True rest comes from having the right yoke. And Jesus says, I am the right yoke. So learn of me, follow me, obey me. What he's talking about is true discipleship. When we're following Christ, when we're united to him, when we're yoked to him, that is where true rest is found and experienced. Now, if you've been listening, you might say to yourself, I thought Jesus had already talked about rest come to him and I will give you rest as a gift. You're right. But what I think he's talking about here is the rest that is given to those who are already at rest in him. I like what James Montgomery Boyce says and and Charles Spurgeon. Verse 28, they say, is the rest of getting rid of your old yoke. Verse 29 is the rest from wearing the right yoke, the new and better burden that he gives you. Now, again, that sounds strange. What does he mean? Let's go back to that yoke analogy. Again, there's two animals one of those animals are weak and small and young. The other animal is fully grown, fully mature, strong. And so this is what a farmer does. Most of the burden, all of the burden goes on that stronger animal. And that stronger animal who's carrying the burden while this other animal grows up into maturity is trained. The Christian life is a lot like that. That's what I believe Jesus is saying in this passage, listen, this Christian life is a difficult one. We know that. He warns us, He tells us this is a hard life. So our heads aren't in the sand. But, but for those who are united to Him, certainly united to Him by faith, but, but who are yoked with Him, it didn't always feel like a hard life. I believe, that's not the first description and the first characteristic that comes to our mind. Man, this is a hard life. I like what um, Dane Ortwin says. He says it's a paradox. He says that the one who is yoked to Jesus, that burden doesn't feel like a burden. It feels like a a non-burden. And this is what Jesus says. He he says, um, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Meaning that what helium does to a balloon, the yoke of Jesus does in the life of a believer. Does that make sense? So all the hard stuff, all the things that we needed to do but couldn't, perfect righteousness, a perfect life, a life lived, Jesus has accomplished that for us. Things that we couldn't possibly have done for ourselves. Jesus has accomplished that, and we know that he has when he says it is finished on a cross, on the cross. So all the things that we couldn't do, that we couldn't bear, that was crushing us, he has accomplished for us. And then amazingly, as the one who has done that and is doing that, in his grace says, now I want you to join me in this. I want you to be my kingdom person. I want you to join me in this work of making earth as it is in heaven. I want, I want to give you my life. I, I, I want to show you how to live life as it was been meant to be lived. And I promise you, when you grow weary, I'm going I'm to hold you. I'm going to carry you. When you fall, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to lead you into green pastures. I'm going to cause you to flourish. I believe that's what Jesus is saying. All of us are yoked to something, but it's only when we're yoked to the Lord Jesus Christ that we experience and live life as it was meant to be experienced and lived as his redeemed people. So Jesus says, come to me, take upon my yoke and and my burden. It's easy and it's light. Now, sometimes as Christians, we answer this call of Jesus but somewhere along the line, this, this life lived after Jesus becomes more than we can bear. It just feels like it's crushing us. I can't do this anymore. you ever feel that way? Like, you know, everything's going fine. But then somewhere in your Christian life, it just becomes too much of a weight for you. It feels like a burden that you just can't possibly carry anymore. Whenever you're in a position like that, may I suggest it's because you've unyoked yourself to Christ. Or at the very least, you've taken your, your eyes off him. If you find yourself in that place, I just hear this, this um, story that Spurgeon says. He says, "The Christian must always remember that when he is called by Christ, he receives a priceless chest called the gift of rest, and whoever possesses it knows its beauty and knows its splendor. Often, though, he forgets to open it. Should he open it and examine it, this is what he'll find. Precious, priceless jewels he never knew were there. Hidden springs of joy and peace and love and rest. Our experience of Jesus and his rest is determined by our belief in him and our belief in him is formed by his word. And so this is what that means. Brothers and sisters, abide in his word. Learn from him. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Learn from him, the only master who will satisfy you and give you rest. Now, again, this, this takes a whole lot of trust on our part, even for the Christian. And sometimes it's hard for us to fully trust the Lord, right? Because we've had a lot of bad experiences with people in this life, people who have dealt with us harshly when we've been honest with them, people who've let us down. Is Jesus going to do that? Friends, in this passage, Jesus gives us every reason to trust him beyond a shadow of a doubt. Every reason to trust him with whatever it is that we got and to trust the promises that he gives. The reason that we have to trust him, our great assurance is his heart, which he reveals in this passage. Spurgeon, again, makes the point that in all of the gospels, 89 chapters, this is the only verse, the only place where Jesus pulls back the veil and describes for us his heart, how he feels about you. I mean, just think about all the descriptions. We know that Jesus is holy. We know that he's righteous. We know that he's just, but in the one place in which he describes his heart, he doesn't say any of those things. What does he say? He says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly. I encourage you to read Dane Ortlund's book called Gentle and Lowly. It has a whole lot to say about this passage. But think about that. The, the only place in which he describes his heart, he says he is gentle and lowly. What's that word gentle? That word gentle describes a friend. Someone who's kind. Someone who's patient. Someone who's compassionate. Someone who will not deal with us harshly. It is the opposite of an enemy. It is a friend. And he describes himself that way. The second word he uses is lowly. Another word for that is humility, which really isn't a virtue in our world today. But that's how he describes himself. And really what he's pointing us to is his role as the suffering servant. The one who was abandoned so that in him we never would be. The one who experienced cosmic unrest so that through faith we would forever be at rest in him. And these are the two words that he describes his heart with, not his emotions, but who he is in his very being. That's just who he is. So you know what that means? It means that there's no one like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is unparalleled and unprecedented. He is the highest superlative of anything good that you choose to say about him. His goodness is limitless. His grace is sufficient. His mercy is everlasting. You have more to fear from yourself and the things of this world than you do for him. He is not standing over you angrily with his hands crossed, but rather he's looking at you lovingly with his arms wide open. This is our God, the son of God, a sinner's savior who says to each of us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for I am gentle and and lowly in heart. You have every reason to trust him because that's just who he is. And I know very well that later this week or maybe even later today by lunch, we're going to forget all that. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take home your bulletin and I want you to read the liturgy later. I want you to specifically notice the three songs that we sang. The first song is going to remind you that you're on the guest list. Little old you, little broken you. Why? Because Jesus is a friend of sinners. The second song is going to remind you not to go to all those places that are a waste of time. Jesus is all we need. Jesus is all that we have. And the song that we're about to sing is going to remind you that even when life is difficult, unite yourself to him. Yoke yourself to him. Because he is our rest and he will fill you with joy and peace. So let's pray that we'd have grace to trust him all the more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for the gospel. We're so grateful for Jesus. And we pray that in your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to rest in him and to trust in him all the more deeply that we might experience his rest and live for the glory of your name. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen.